By the beach in Hastings, Barbados, the band is in full swing. Under the palm trees, the dancers spin and gasp for breath. On stage, a seated guitar and accordion combo are herring through the unstoppable rhythms of a local favourite, roaring exhortations to the sweaty crowd. do si do your partner. On the dance floor under the stars, the kilts sway menacingly, but the smiles are broad and the attempts to dance the gay Gordons, fulsome if patchily accurate. This Scottish country dancing night is one of the highlights of this year's Barbados Celtic Festival, a programme of events, some sweaty and carefree, others decidedly more interrogative. We're going to spend this edition of the Culture File Weekly on the freshly minted Republic of Barbados, meeting islanders and discovering, among other things, why Barbados might have a Celtic festival. We'll hear how the papers of the author of To Hell or Barbados are being handed over to the Barbados Archive, and we'll sit on the back porch with Esther Phillips, Barbados Poet Laureate, whose new poems explore the meanings of reparations. But we begin with another of the island's great wordsmiths, Anthony Carter, known around the Caribbean as the Mighty Gabby, a singer, songwriter and champion of spicy extemporised verse battles called Pekong. In the 1970s, Gabby's music became a powerful political force, as well as a home for wistful melodies guaranteed to have Bayesians welling up, such as Emerton, a song the man on the steel pan immediately struck up when the mighty Gabby joined Culturefile at the Coconut Court Beach Bar for a rum punch. One of my songs. That's one of my songs, yeah. For Emerton, Emerton is um, regarded as the greatest song ever in the history of music in Barbados. So they had this thing running for a few weeks, uh, and you could call in, you could mail in, you could email, you could WhatsApp, you could any kind of social media, um, Instagram stuff, um, naming what you think is the best song ever in the history of music in Barbados. And that song, Emerton, came out as number one. So, um, you know, I'm really grateful <laughs> to have had the song that is considered the best song ever out of my country. I mean, this is inclusive of Rihanna's works and all of that, right? So you can imagine how. And I'll have to tell you this, Rihanna is my friend. And, and she would tell you that her favorite song is this song, Emerton. Yes, Be- beautiful melody. What, what are the words? The words, you tell me to forget that my grandmother was born right here, so all right, I say I shall go. You tell me to forget that you bring bulldozers and push down the houses, so I say I shall go. But I hope you understand how I feel about Emerton, my homeland, my homeland, my homeland. I hope you know it's true that I'll never forgive you because look, uh, look at what you do to my amateur. That's some of the lyrics. What are you gonna say, hello? Father, well, yeah. respect, man. How you, man? I'm good, I'm good. Honored to play this for you, sir. Tell us a little bit about what Pekong is and how you use it or where you use it. Pekong is singing extemporaneously. 
it really is just making up the words as you go along, right? So they have a specific pattern that they use, but me, I use any pattern. So the pattern would be, I am now here looking at the juke. Up from England that day, it's called Luke. Luke is a man just like me, who is not fancy, but he is clancy. As you could see, we here on the beach. No people around, we far out of reach. And so look, without making fuss, I have to tell you, welcome to Barbados. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. But sometimes in the Pekong, it can be a battle, like a confrontation yeah. between people. Yes, that is, is what the, the audience like. So I might say something really insulting about you, and you hit me with a similar thing. I tell you, I was afraid you were going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. But that's what, what happens. I'm close to 1,600 songs. I've written close to 1,600 songs. And... Um, you know, it's a real pleasure, um, but a lot of them are not recorded, but they're sung <laughs> on a frequent basis here in Barbados and in other parts of the Caribbean, you know, but songs like Boots and Jack. I grew up bathing in seawater, but nowadays that is the horror. If I only venture down by the shore, police telling me I can't be no more. Well, Jack is really about all beaches everywhere in the world. And I'm of the opinion that there should be no private beaches in any country. There should be all public beaches. And um, we had a guy here who was the chairman of the Board of Tourism called Jack Dare. And he made a statement and he said he don't know why the, the Barbadians are making so much fuss uh, pertaining to the beaches that they... Property owners have the right to bring their property down to the high water mark. And um, I called him and I said, Jack, if you don't like take back that statement or distance yourself from it, I will immortalize you in song. And he said, go ahead, Gabby. I hope you have a lot of money because I'll be seeking my legal rights. When I sang the song, the, the, the emotion old people that had never gone to the sea in 40, 50, 60 years were going at the sea every evening and, and Sundays you could hardly move because they, they felt that way they felt as though this song was speaking for them but when they thought it was just Barbados the St. Lucians went and pushed down a fence that was erected on a beach in St. Lucia singing Jack the Antiguans did the same, the, 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 the Dominicans, the, the Grenadians, you know, uh, the Vincentians. I said, wow, I can't believe a little song that took me 10, 15 minutes to write could have that kind of impact on, on a populace.
the mighty Gabby on the beach at Hastings in the parish of Christchurch, Barbados. Now, as part of this year's Barbados Celtic Festival, there's a ceremony at the Barbados Department of Archives, marking the handover of a controversial trove. The late author Sean O'Callaghan's To Hell or Barbados looks at the earliest moments of colonialism on the Caribbean island, involving Irish indentured servants, pirates in travesty, and a joint black-and-white uprising against British rule on the island. Recently, however, the book was seized upon by white supremacists in the US and beyond in an attempt to minimise the horrors of chattel slavery of Africans. But bad readers and shortcomings in the book aside, it draws an unfamiliar path through the early history of the island, for which some on Barbados, including the archivists, have space, as a random encounter on the island reminded culture file. This is the Irish account of history in Barbados. You ever read this book before? Wait until I tell you a story. I had about two copies, and I lent it on to a woman that come here. She never brought it back. My name is Winston Gill. I lived in Barbados all my years, 78 years ago. But the first Irish indentured servants come to Barbados in 1637. And... They had to work like anybody else. Well, a lot of people say because the Irish were just indentured, they could expect to be free, and the black people couldn't expect to be free. They were there for life. So it's quite—it's different, isn't it? It's different to a point. Slavery is a bad thing. Whether it be black or white, I don't feel—I feel with nobody in slavery. But that is what happened in Barbados. It was a brutal and wicked place. Okay. This is where your dad would have been, eh? This is where he would have been. Yeah. My name is Mark O'Callaghan. I'm the son of Sean O'Callaghan, author of To Hell of Barbados. We're in at the archives, uh, the main archives in Barbados. I'm here to, um, as part of a sort of celebration, really, of my father's uh, work, and then particularly at the archives, to donate um, his um, material that he used to write his book, as well as the actual um, written notes that he um, wrote the book with. I think there's a danger of almost like, um, well, um, uh, talking on behalf of other people in the past, well, um, and then bringing it into the present. And I think there's an almost uh, political debate there. People suffered, people died. Um, people were, um, uh, were transported. Um, uh, some, uh, yes, they were indented servants. It comes from um, the Latin dens teeth because it's a, a legal document that you had and that um, it was an exact copy was on the top and on the bottom. And then it was ripped um, uh, jagged-wise so that um, the teeth formed so that you could then look at those two um, and then say, yes, this is uh, you know, a perfect copy. It was before photocopies and before um, uh, the, idea, the digital age. It was a way of doing things in those days. I mean, I'm delighted to be here because um, he was... Uh, I remember when he came back from uh, Barbados, he was quite excited... He thought he'd written at one stage his last book, and that was the, the, his autobiography, Down by the Glenside, which was uh, published in 1992. He then realised that was, there was some other, something else he could do, and he was quite excited when he'd heard that there was um, the possibility of doing some further research, further work, um, and, and a story to be told. And the story was of the Irish that uh, were moved to Barbados and, to, and the, the West Indies. And he came over to Barbados... Um, to see were there any records, because the, there were, the Irish state papers um, um, were all um, blown up uh, during the, uh, the Civil War, and so 
there were no papers in Ireland. He went to Kew, there wasn't much there, but he thought there must be here. So he came here and met a, a Mrs. Betty Shannon, and um, he was absolutely enthralled by what he found here. There was so much, he said. Um, and as he writes in the book, he said that inspired him to write in Ireland. We've, you know, we've lost our archives um, during the, the Civil War because that's, our memory is gone. And here, it's, it's wonderful that we've got um, in uh, Barbados a wonderful uh, treasure trove of information, not just for now, but also for the future. You know, he said he'd always love to come back. But he was ill, um, and interestingly, he died um, within a week of finishing the book. My name is Ingrid Thompson, Chief Archivist at the Barbados Archives Department. Well, right here, we're standing right outside our digitization unit, um, which is a part of our um, complex here at the Archives in Black Rock, Barbados. Our earliest record we have here is 1636. 1636, we hold public records and also private records that have historical value um, to Barbados that documents the history of Barbados and of individuals history of institutions. We have material on our political history, our educational history, um, our religious history, um, science, geography, agriculture, because we're the lone archives in the country. I'm Simonetta Cox. I work at the archives department. Um, I read the book to Hello Barbados. It was wonderful. I love his use of words and his true representation of what happened here in Barbados, and even the telling of the story sort of of before they came to, um, the Celtics came to Barbados, the Irish, the Scottish, and the Wales, and the Welsh. And I just love the total history and everything about the book. I knew who was writing the book. I knew from which side he was telling his story, and I accepted his side for telling the story. I did not um, look at it as a comparison between indentured servants and, and slaves versus from the African continent. I look at it as the story being told from the Irish side and what it meant to them. More research needs to be done in terms of actually what took place in relation and um, Mr. Wakalahan's book to Hell Our Barbados will help us a bit in terms of really understanding what took place um, during that time period. The thing is, is that everybody experienced trauma during that time. Who, 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 who is to determine the level of difficulty that they might have experienced? They're not here to speak for themselves. So it's up to persons in terms of interpretation. So it's somebody who will walk through those doors there in the future and spend some time with the papers and, and, and they will make a new determination. Yes, but you know sometimes they say history is very subjective. <laughs> you see what you want to see, right? And you can have one, one, one document and you can interpret it in many ways, right? But the thing is, is that we will have those original papers that people can look at and analyze sometimes, yes. What I'm signing is, um, I'm not sure how many boxes yeah. there are, but um, it's um, uh, papers of Sean O'Callaghan relating to his book, To Hell or Barbados. I'm very happy to sign it on today's date. 13th. 13th of the 5th of 
2022, mm -hmm. yes. almost 30 years after yes. he came. So I will now sign on behalf of the Archives Department. Voices at the Barbados Department of Archives there. And for our final stop on the island, we're on a hillside in the south, on the porch of Esther Phillips. Phillips is Barbados Poet Laureate, and after some fallow time, she found the pandemic gave her space to find a new series of poems, testifying to the island's traumas, questing for the real meanings of reparations. OK, look, yes, I was waiting for you. Come, just come this way. We are going to be sitting here on the deck at the back so we can get all the air that we need and we can admire the garden as well. Well, I grew up in the country and I consider myself a country person all the time. One of my favourite poets is also Seamus Heaney, that poem, Digging. That was one of my favourites because that's what I saw around me. My grandmother worked on the land. My grandfather worked on a plantation and on the land at home as well. So digging, planting, communing with the natural world around us, the landscape, running around as a, as a child in the country. That's something that is so much in my, in my makeup, you know. It, it is, to me, is the most natural thing. So that's why I connected with Heaney. So Drax Hall. Drax Hall is very much in contention <laughs> right now. Drax Hall is the plantation, and there is the Drax Hall Great House. Yes, that is um, Jacobean in, in style. It is the first, um, yeah, I think it, it is the oldest plantation house in Barbados. It is it's owned by Drax. The Drax has never, never, never changed. It never changed hands. As a matter of fact, someone sent me an article from the, written in The Observer in which um, Richard Drax was being picketed and he's being asked to, or told to, compensate the people of Barbados, whose ancestors were slaves. He has profited tremendously. He's one of the wealthiest um, MPs in Dorset. Maybe one of the wealthiest men in Dorset, I don't know. But... Um, so because reparations is in the air now, and he's being told, look, you've benefited from, benefited from this slavery. Give the people of Barbados back something. So, Draxhall. I must have learned, aged eight or nine, to love the dawn. Walking, skillet in hand, to fetch the milk from Draxhall Yard, where our grandfather kept his cows. Chilly mornings... Hedgerows drenched in dew, yellow creeping back into early late flowers, purple peering out from bird vine leaves clustered in the cut rock at both sides of the road, smell of plums, ripe guavas bursting from the gully, filling up the air. One side past the broken down mill at Waterman's Straw, the wide sky walked with me, pink, grey, lilac, so soft I hardly dared to breathe, though I scarcely knew why. But something was in that quietness. Something blackbirds and sparrows knew but kept their silence. It was in the insistent song of crickets and grasshoppers, the whisper of cuscus as the wind slipped through. Clouds, noiseless, shifting shape at will, or my creation. This was the beginning of poetry. 
This searching for the prism hidden in the dark, air tuned to the pulse, the rise and fall of the undergrowth, more telling than the noise around us. How could I have known my muse walked with me all the way to Jack's Hall Yard those early mornings when the dawn was itself my first poem? So I read that because um, that, that, that's a picture of beauty but also of innocence, innocence slash ignorance. I believe you've been campaigning recently on a very specific issue and driving around the island we saw what's been bothering people and that was men young men at the side of the roads with plastic bags with small pieces of sugar cane in them and and you know it's it, they're often at the side of busy roads it looks quite dangerous job to try and uh, sell small pieces of sugar cane and yet there's a big movement to stamp out that trade even and that that seemed like a, if i were a poet <laughs> that seemed like an incredible um continuation because this is just a small piece of cane and and making a small amount of money and still there's a, a force trying to possess that cane and take it away from these people actually i've started writing a poem on that but i haven't it's, it's still very much in the rough because i think there is a as a i don't want to say a marvelous irony because there's no there's nothing marvelous about it but there's such a tremendous irony that you are going to you're going to cause young men to get locked up for taking a small piece of... for stealing, we can't call it less than that. Stealing a small piece of cane, all right? And yet, you took whole human beings, men, women, children, from Africa, brought them here. So you stole human beings with all, all the potential for labor or whatever artistry, artistic, whatever they had, because all kinds of people came here. We tend to think that they were, oh, you just pushed them in a thing and forced them into labor. You had craftsmen, art, all kinds of people. They came from a civilization. So you take these, you take big human beings, whole human beings, you steal them from wherever they were. Nobody ever got put in jail for that. Nobody faced the law. Nobody got put in court. Nobody. And now you're saying, well, give, give back something. Not even that they want to do. But you're going to take these young men and lock them up for stealing a piece of sugar cane. To me, that is so... That's more than irony. That, that, that's, that's ridiculous. So, of course, I wrote um, what I felt about it. I said, it, it is a, to me, it's a small compensation for the what it is you put the what what the um, ancestors went through, for goodness sake, you know. Now I have taught for many years, and I know teaching you teach not only the academic, but you have to guide young people's morals. I'm not going to encourage them to steal, but I'm saying, why not address the problems that pushed them to do that in the first place? The big part of the problem here in Barbados that we we tamp things down. We say, okay, well, you know, nobody's creating any problem so just just let it just leave it alone don't touch it let it just so people will not raise a race question um they will not some don't want to talk about slavery and the unfortunate thing is that's on both sides the whites don't want to talk about it because they don't want to face anything that has to do with that 
blacks don't want to talk about it. It's, be, it's too shameful and disgraceful a thing to, to think about. So let's just move on merrily. Trouble is, though, it's going to keep resurfacing and resurfacing in one form or another. Energies don't die. They just go under and resurface. The truth is that the, this was a slave plant society. Blacks are still at the bottom of the economic ladder. The wealth is spread just among a few in Barbados, and we have to correct it. So the other poem you're going to read was about not correcting it, about keeping it silent and the, the role of silence in, in where we are now. Silence, yes. Silence is um, that's a, um, a very huge topic in many ways. There has been a lot of silence around slavery. People just don't want to talk about it anymore. And I, when I wrote this poem, I was thinking of even of my own ancestors, my own grandmother and great-grandmother who didn't talk about it. Yes, there are some dogs barking, but I will try my best to read the poem in spite of that. My ancestors gifted me their silence. Subtitle, When Silence is Not. Shh. Let her walk free unhindered into the new world. She must not see the crimson dawn and think of... Let her see only purple flowers growing in the cut rock, not hear the back breaking. She must remember only the smell of ripe plums and guavas rising from the gully, never the stink of... Let her gaze at the lacy leaves in the cluster of bamboo trees and not see that the branches were cut, stripped, and used for. The thick pole with holes cut into the crossbars was where they... The dark spot left by jamun berries was once the stain of... She's walking west of the big house next to the nigger yard. She knows it only as the yard. We were barely her age when Massa summoned us to his quarters. We were not the same when we came back. The children born to us were never ours to love as we wanted. Massa could treat them with such cruelty, seldom when he chose to. Better some had never seen the morning light. Better they'd been buried along with their navel strings under this same earth. But this girl, walking, she's one or a brave saw when we gathered in the late evening, speaking over a pot of water so no one could hear us. It was then the old wise woman whispered her vision that one day, Let the girl child think it's only birds, crickets, grasshoppers, the wind is slipping through the cuscus that she hears. Never the sounds of our shh. Oh, my ancestors, so late for me to unwrap layer by layer this gift of your silence. But today I place my birth call over my eyes so I may see. And I weep for the bones I find here, the solitary cowrie shell, a broken comb, 
Shreds of the Osnaburg that roughened your once smooth ebony skin gave no ease to your torn flesh. I shed these tears from my oblivion, false buffer of empire that shrouded my hearing, veiled my sight, turned me bastard child away from my true mother. Now I unwrap the love you forced into silence like a hedge to protect me until the time would come for safer passage. What can I give you in return in these late years, this late awakening, the pledge of my voice, my words, the rest of this walking? Barbados poet laureate Esther Phillips there reading My Ancestors Gifted Me Their Silence, bringing to an end our visit to Barbados. Thanks for all those who helped along the way, with special thanks to Ronnie Carrington, Barbara Chase and Michael Collins. The Barbados Celtic Festival happens again in May 23. We'll be back on our own island next Saturday tea time. Till then, bye now. <laughs>